Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's not about the corner office. It's not about the fancy title. It's not even about the extra money. Responsible leadership is about taking care of those who choose to follow you, and that care takes on many forms. This podcast is dedicated to bringing you the best guests with the best advice to help you succeed in that endeavor. The Responsible Leadership Podcast is a production of The Leadership Phalanx. To find out more about me and what I do, visit leadershipphalanx.com. That's leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X.com. And now, on to today's show. All right, listeners, I've got an outstanding guest for you today, none other than Mr. David Schreiner Kahn, host of Smashing the Plateau and Going Solo podcast. Now, David started his business journey back in 2006 with 10 strategic partners. And along the way, he realized that uh, he had a lot to learn about management and entrepreneurship, even though he had held a lot of those roles uh, in the nonprofit and in his uh, business. So with Smashing the Plateau, he invites entrepreneurs to share their stories, experiences, and strategies that help them strive for long-term success. He has hundreds of episodes of that show, and it is an outstanding watch. It is an outstanding listen. Uh, Then in 2009, he added the Going Solo podcast to share strategies for professionals to build their own businesses as they transition from employee to entrepreneur. We're going to have a lot of discussion about that process of from going from being an employee to an entrepreneur and the things that you need to know as an entrepreneur through the course of this podcast. So I'm going to go ahead and get out of the way here and just go ahead and welcome my guest, David Schreiner Khan. Thank you for being a part of the Responsible Leadership Podcast today. Earl, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm looking forward to our discussion. Yeah, I cannot wait to get into this and see where we go, but uh, I want to start you off where I start off all my guests on this show. When you hear the term responsible leadership, what does that look like to you? Um, Well, to me, uh, first of all, leadership to me is um, inspiring others to perform some kind of action, Um, preferably some kind of targeted action that's designed to fulfill a mission designed to support the organization's values, which are, and the values are also, should be consistent with the values of of the leadership. So to me, it's really all about inspiration. And, um, And I think what makes a leader responsible is having the the framework of um, a servant mentality that as a leader, you're inspiring others in particular to serve some kind of need in an audience, uh, some kind of need in, in, in a population. And whether you're leading someone in a business endeavor that is designed to create a profit for someone, or you're leading people to fulfill a mission that's not necessarily business-based or profit-based. When you come from the perspective of wanting to serve someone, then I think you are, um, you're in a position of, A, being responsible, and I think you come from a position of being a much stronger leader. 
Yeah, no, I love that. It reminds me of old, uh, I think it was Zig Ziglar quote that said, uh, if you, if you go out looking for friends, they're hard to find. But if you go out looking to be a friend, they're everywhere. Um, and, and that kind of reminded me of that, uh, a little bit there, right? If you're going out looking for people to lead, uh, it, it's kind of hard to find people. But if you go out looking to be a leader and serve people, uh, they kind of come to you, right? Absolutely. Yeah. No, I love that. So for, uh, the listeners here, you know, I mentioned this in the pre-roll bio here a little bit, but, uh, for anybody who's not familiar with what David does, um, he, he's the host of, among other things, he's a host of two really great podcasts, Smashing the Plateau and Going Solo. Uh, but before we really dive into to those there, uh, if I got your kind of background story right a little bit, there was something that happened around like early, early to mid 2000s, 2005, 2006 that kind of got you into, into this mindset, right? Well, the, the trigger for me, Earl, to go from employment to entrepreneurship was a, was a job loss. Uh, so my last position was terminated. Um, so I didn't leave voluntarily, although I was already planning my, my next move for quite some time. And I was, um, really actively planning what I wanted to do in my next career move for, I would say a, a solid year before I left. Um, you know, in one of the things that I learned in my career, and actually it stemmed from a, a another job termination very early on. I started my career as an engineer, worked as an engineer for about the first four years, two different jobs, and I did well. It, you know, it's a demanding profession. Uh, I did well, earned a good living, and just after my second performance review in my second job, which was a very positive performance review and, and, um, and also tied to it was a, a nice, um, salary increase. About a month later, my boss called me into his office and says, David, I have good news and bad news. The good news is you're doing a good job. The bad news is you don't have a job here anymore. And, and I was totally blindsided at that point. Um, I was young and naive, and I really didn't pay attention to the fact that the company that I worked for had lost a lot of business. And so they ended up terminating a significant portion of the staff, myself included. Um, so what I learned from that experience is you always need to be prepared for your next move because um, particularly as an employee, um, some of the factors are not in your control. And, um, you know, so I, so I became... Um, I would say one of my routines was scenario planning, and I would always have a plan B in mind, plan C, you know, et cetera, which is something that I think entrepreneurs do sort of naturally. But as employees, um, I don't know that that is necessarily um, such a common mindset. Maybe in today's world it's different, but certainly when I started my um, my career, which is you know forty plus years ago, the expectation was you'd go to work, especially as an engineer, go to work for a big company. Um, they would take care of you. You'd have lots of um, up opportunities for upward mobility, and then you would retire and get a pension. Um, well, that you know that's history at this point. But um, yeah, but I, I learned that you really need to be be planning on how you're going to take control over your career and what you're going to do next. So, so I was already planning that I wanted to be a consultant as my next career move. Um, the only thing was the actual timing of when it happened was not my choice. Yeah, no. And I think you made some really valuable points there, especially about the, the planning piece, right? I mean, uh, you're, you're right. Like when I first, uh, got into, uh, my career, that was exactly what I thought. You know, my, my first career of choice was the Marine Corps. And then, uh, you know, I had the, the adverse reactions to the anthrax vaccine and that cut that short. And, uh, that, that threw me kind of into a little bit of a tailspin there because I thought this was the way life worked. I'm going to go, I'm going to do 20 years. I'm going to get my pension. And then I've got 20 years to figure it out, get an education, figure out what that'll, you know, in my last two or three years, figure out what it'll be. But when you get that rug yanked out from underneath you like that, it, it really sets you on that path of, uh, you only have two choices, right? I mean, it's, it's the whole sink or swim kind of scenario, isn't it? Pretty much. Um, yeah. And there, there are some people that do sink and I didn't yeah. want to be one of them. 
and and I, but I like the the thing that you pointed out there about about planning, and I think that's the one thing that we're seeing as you mentioned with uh, you know kind of younger generations, millennials, Gen Z. Uh, they seem to be very good at planning and, and looking around. And, you know, early on, as they became a bigger part of the workforce, they got kind of hit about the head quite a bit about, oh, they only stay in a job for like two to four years and then they move to something else. But it's really highlighting what you're talking about there. They're always looking. They're always planning. And I think that's one of the reasons, and maybe you've got a little bit of different insight into it, but I think that's one of the reasons like right now with this great resignation that we're seeing we're seeing a lot more entrepreneurs pop up. We're seeing a lot more people take that leap because they've kind of been preparing for it already. Does that sound kind of close to how you you take it? You know, I haven't seen the statistics of um, exactly because I've read I've read different stories about who is actually resigning and and whether it's really the kinds of people we envision in um, in the the percentages that we envision. Um, but, um, so I, I haven't seen the statistics about how that translates into, um, people becoming entrepreneurs. And I can tell you, um, like one of the things that, that I see happening in the, um, uh, in the last couple of years with the way, um, actual work environments have changed. If you are someone who is a knowledge worker, there was an assumption prior to COVID that you needed to be in a certain place at a certain time in order to perform your job. And many people thought that it was impossible to quote unquote work from home. And we saw for knowledge workers, pretty much the whole world suddenly started working from home within like a week. And many people were more productive, um, we didn't see the economy fall apart as a result. We saw many companies that that um, where their workers are primarily knowledge workers do really well over the last two years. So I think one of the things that um, that I think people have realized is that there's a lot more fluidity that can happen in work situations, which also means for the for the workers themselves, um, for the employees, that they, um, it, it's not quite such a, a black and white difference between being an employee and being an entrepreneur. I think, I think people's perception of what it means to be an entrepreneur and be flexible and take some risks and, and go after opportunities, I think that that may have changed quite a bit. Yeah, I think that's I think that's actually a fair look at it. And, you know, and, and I think you touched on something else there too the the work environments like, you know, whenever I'm having discussions with, with folks about it and, you know, I always hear that, well, of course, nobody wants to work. They're giving them free money and all this. I'm like, they're not giving free money to replace, you know, uh, veterinary technicians and pharmacist technicians salaries and those sorts of things. What what people are talking about, I think what's really driving this is what you said, workplaces. And we're starting to see. We're starting to shine a light really on what is a good place to work and what is maybe not such a favorable place to work. And I think the good thing with that is, and I'm curious to hear your take on it, is we're starting to see some of those places that maybe took for granted that they were on, you know, the king of the hill, so to speak, and everybody wanted to work for them. When they're seeing all this mass exodus, it's really kind of forced them to to, to reevaluate and maybe change some of those working conditions. Do you think that's? A fair I, I think that's true, I, and I think it's true for knowledge workers and for workers that do need to work on site because they work with their hands or they're front facing with customers. You know, people in in retail, where um, you know, for example, in a grocery store, you can't work remotely, and people do need to walk into the grocery store to get their groceries. So you know, certain kinds of of work does need to happen in a certain place at a certain time and face to face. But if those work environments are not, um, if there isn't, I would say some some give and take in terms of attitudes between employer and employee, and realizing that in order for the organization to function, everybody who's part of the organization needs to work together and function as a team. If, if people don't see things that way, I think um, 
I'm assuming that workers will, if they haven't already, they will think about migrating towards companies that provide um, um, a a healthier work environment and work environment that takes um, workers' issues into consideration, which if I could, I just want to actually bring up one other point that that ties yeah, into please. your initial question about leadership. Um, and, and this may be more of a management issue than a leadership issue, but the, the primary responsibility of a direct supervisor is to help the direct reports succeed. And I, I think too many people fail to realize that. Um, so if you're creating an, an environment where you're helping your employees succeed, that requires some flexibility on your part as the manager or as the organization's leadership. And so that ties into some of the issues that you just raised, Earl, with regard to the great resignation and some of the the um, trends that we've been seeing over the last couple of years. Yeah, no, I think that is extremely valuable. And I was actually going to kind of tie that back in with with your response to the responsible leadership uh, questionnaire, because it reminded me of a, a prior guest on here, uh, Robertson uh, Hunter Stewart. Uh, he He's really promoting uh, uh, across Europe um, this idea more of uh, em- employee service versus customer service, right? And, and it's kind of this idea of, of if you serve your employees, they're going to better serve the customers. So management, leadership, and organization is meant to support the employees and the employees being happier, healthier, more psychologically safe environments, things like that are going to provide better customer service and kind of switching away from this, the customer's always right kind of mentality. Well, maybe sometimes the, we're, we're seeing this now. Uh, you know, sometimes the customer's not right. You know, it's not okay to scream and yell at your server. It's not okay to treat them poorly because you're having a bad day. And and you're seeing organizations, especially in those service-facing uh, industries, you know, really say, hey, look, if you're going to come in here and treat my employees terribly, I know COVID's got everybody on, on stress right now, but, you know, these people are important to me. You're not going to treat them terrible, and and I think that is a big shift in in a leadership mindset around here, uh, especially in the U.S. So, uh, yeah, so I, I mean, again, I love everything that you're saying here. Um, so we talked about the the podcast. I want to kind of get into to some of this a little bit because I love what you're doing here with with both of these. But uh, you started out with smashing the plateau. Um, what what? And like in your words, what is Smashing the Plateau about and why should people listen? Uh, so both Smashing the Plateau and Going Solo are designed to help consultants build their consulting business following a long career as an employed professional. Um, and their departure from from um, from a job uh, could be voluntary and quite frequently it is involuntary. The... The difference between the two podcasts is um, going solo is more about the early stage of starting your business and smashing the plateau is about trying to grow your business. Once you feel like your business has reached some level of sustainability, what do you want to do next and how do you how do you smash that plateau that you're facing? Because um, we all we all see this when we're advancing through our career, when we're growing our business we reach certain levels and kind of get stuck there you know so when a um a company is growing if um if it's a company that has employees they get to a point where the owner can't really supervise all the employees directly they need a management layer and until the owner figures out how to become a ceo and have a management team as opposed to being a business owner and just managing a handful of employees, that business is going to is going to be stuck at a certain size. Um, they're they're going to have great difficulty, and I've seen this over and over again. They, you know, they, um, you, you can only supervise so many people effectively in a week. So, um, you know, you end up having communication breakdowns and customer complaints and things like that. Um, if you have a, a single person business, you. Uh, it's really common as a consultant to start out with a um, with a business model where you're making money when you're producing 
solutions for clients. And the, you know, there are different pricing models, but eventually if you're serving the same kinds of clients that, that have capacity to pay um, certain amounts for solutions, you'll, you'll reach a ceiling where you can't earn any more income with that model. And so you need to do something to change your business model if you want to be able to earn more money. Now, it's not everybody will want to earn more money, but if you do want to earn money, more money, I, you know, that, that kind of thing needs to change. So Smashing the Plateau deals with all these issues related to running a, a business, particularly a consulting business where you're trying to grow it. Yeah. No, and, and uh, you know, you've had some really great guests on there. Um, you know, I haven't had a chance to listen to all the episodes. You've got – how many do you have on Smashing the Plateau now? Um, we're somewhere in the 600s. Well, yeah, it's it, it's it's an impressive number. And, and listeners, again, I highly, highly encourage you. I'm going to have the links in the show notes here to both of those. Go check out uh, both of these podcasts. They're fantastic, especially – you know, if you, you fit into that consultant, uh, but I think even just any entrepreneur, there's a lot of lessons that, that can be learned from both of these, these podcasts. Uh, I, but I'm curious from your perspective, you know, having interviewed that many people and, and you're up to like a hundred, like closing in on 200 on going solo as well. Right. Right. Yeah. So you've done all these interviews. You've talked to all these people. Uh, I'm kind of curious, like, um, you know, do you have like a top two or top three lesson that you've learned uh, from your guests? Yeah, I would say that the um, the top challenges and the solutions that we talk about tend to fall into four categories. Okay. Um, the first one is mindset, because if you don't have a positive mindset, you are going to continue to be challenged as an entrepreneur. Entrepreneurship is hard work. It's way harder than being an employee. So you got to have a positive mindset. Um, second one is relationships because relationships are everything in business and in life. If you spend your time, especially initially when you're building your business, you spend your time focusing on building solid relationships. Um, and it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, earlier with regard to being having a service mentality that you you go into relationships wanting to help other people if you develop solid relationships you will have you will have a strong business um and of course the third issue is business development because if we're not constantly marketing and selling then we're not likely to have business there are very few businesses that operate without any kind of marketing process um, there are some I've come across some where the business, you know, they the business just keeps coming to them and they have more than more than they can handle. Um, but that's really the exception. Most businesses yeah. need need some kind of marketing and sales strategy and process. So that's that's the third one. And then the last one is productivity, because we can always make more money, but we can't make more time. And so once you get to a certain stage where your business is running, how do you make it more efficient? And, and more effective. So that's so th those are the four issues that we seem to have in common. Um, I would say most of the episodes will have some element of, of one of those four topics. Yeah, no, I, I like those. And, and, you know, I kind of smiled a little bit there when you said relationships, because, yeah, we've talked about it a little bit. But, you know, my listeners were probably like, you know, gripping the, the seat there because they know what's coming. You know, that's, what, uh, that's how I describe leadership, right? I said leadership is just another relationship. Everything that makes a personal relationship work makes a leadership relationship work. You got to have trust. You got to have communication. You got to have all of those things. Uh, and leadership is is a relationship, and and I love that that that's one of the the four categories there because I, I think I think people get a little uncomfortable when you start throwing around the R word uh, in in business, right? Because we we were uh, taught, you know, it's not personal; it's just business. Well, business doesn't have to be impersonal, does it? It can't be impersonal. It doesn't work when it's impersonal. <laughs> yeah. That's, um, it really uh, is all about the relationships. Yeah. No, I, and I'm glad you said that, right? Because one of my favorite quotes is is from the movie um, uh, You've Got Mail, right? And and there's the big uh, scene between uh, uh, Meg and, and Tom. And, 
she she says that right she goes what does it mean it's not personal whatever your thing is it should first start as being personal and, and i think that's really the the key there and, and you know just just you gotta have some kind of personal connection like you just you, you've said it a bunch of times here and i'm reiterating it because i want this to stick with listeners of, of all of our shows here is you have to be willing to make those connections and take those risks or you're never going to be a successful consultant. You're never going to be a successful manager. You're never going to be a successful entrepreneur because you're going to just confine yourself to a bubble if you never take those risks. And you can't buy your own, you can't sustain your life buying your own product, right? Correct. I'm, I'll give you one example of how a relationship is the difference between between a potential sale and and not. So, okay. right. So let let's say. Um, you you see someone who could use your services to become a more responsible leader and you see where they're making um where they're making some mistakes and where they could be helped by some of your expertise if they don't know you and you reach out to them they may or may not respond but if that person happens to be someone that i know well and i reach out to them and i say i know this guy earl he he has this podcast, the Responsible Leadership Podcast, and he's interviewed a couple hundred people on this topic, and he's done a lot of work on this topic. Can I make an introduction between the two of you? Because I think it would be helpful for you to speak to him. Well, that would be very different than you just reaching out cold to this person. Yeah, yeah. And, and anybody who's on LinkedIn has experienced that latter. I've got a um, an inbox today. I've probably got like 10 people reach out, just say, Hey, you know, I'm a podcast promoter. Let me pod, uh, promote your podcast. Never ask me a question, everything like that. But to, to David's point, one of the reasons we're having the conversation we're having here today is my listeners will remember uh, the great interview I had with uh, Deb Coviello uh, with the CEO's compass and her drop in CEO podcast. Um, and she, you know, we build, she and I built a relationship. We started talking about this. We started talking about, you know, what she's doing, what I'm doing, people we've had on our shows. And she says, Hey, um, have you ever heard of, uh, David Schreiner Khan? And I'm like, you know, Deb, I really haven't, you know, cause I hadn't until just, uh, you know, a couple months ago. And she says, yeah, I think you guys will really hit it off. You mind if I make an introduction? And, and here we are, you know, we're, we're here having this discussion and, and I'm glad that she did cause, uh, like I said, I, I hate that I'd missed this great, these two great podcasts that you've got out there. Uh, but listeners, like, keep that in mind. Uh, you've got to be willing to, to build those relationships and, and make those, uh, make those connections because, you know, that, that's, that's one thing I love about this space, uh, is, is I have not ran into anybody in doing all of these interviews that has ever said, well, I can't share this with you. This is my secret sauce. Uh, we want to help everybody. We want to help. We want to help make, uh, I'm going to sound very altruistic here. We want to make money. I'm going to put that out there, but we also want to help people. We want to help people succeed and make a difference to the world. And, and I think that goes back to one of those other themes kind of coming around to, to a question here. Um, you started off with the, the first one of those four categories was positive mindset. And, and that's something that, you know, I agree with you a hundred percent on, but, Positive mindset really is just a lot more than, oh, if you believe it, you can achieve it, isn't it? Yeah, I, I would say to me, positive mindset means when you put, um, you have a, a glass and you fill it 50% of the way with water, right? One could see it as being half full and one could see it as being half empty. To me, positive mindset is you see it as being half full and you you are looking for opportunities to be able to fill it the rest of the way as opposed to a scarcity mindset where you're worried that the 50% that is full is going to start to dry up and you'll be left with no liquid in the glass yeah i like that i saw a uh, shirt recently that says uh uh it said it said i'm an opportunist uh, while the pessimist was arguing that the glass was half full or half empty and the optimist was arguing that it was half full, I was drinking the wine. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so, yeah. But uh, 
but yeah, I mean, and that's it, right? And, and you know, because I, I see, and I like the way you you define that there, because you know, I think that's the one thing I see is I see a lot of people that are just like, you know, look, this, yeah, this is terrible, but if I just keep going, if I just keep going, if I just keep going, and, and I, I I gotta you know kind of balance this here because I love that that attitude that stick to itiveness, but you have to be able to read the room and and know that when something's not working, how to pivot how to how to change the course kind of like what we talked about in the beginning like have those plans ready to go when you see something not working right yeah absolutely and and yeah you can be concerned about what might happen but also have some confidence that you'll be able to figure it out and have have some plans that you're ready to pull the trigger on in case you need to you don't want to you don't want to start to figure out where the the exit is once there's a fire. You like to know in advance. I you know, my primary exit is this way. If it's blocked, I'll go to this exit. If that one's blocked, I'll go to the third one. So you you need to know where these different exits are. I love it. Um so on going solo um, you, you know, I, I've had a lot of opportunity to, to listen to, to those uh, more. Um, and you had a recent guest, her, her name just popped right out of my head, um, talking about grief. Um, I think it may have been your latest podcast. Oh, yeah, Jennifer Fondreve. Yes. And, and I love the discussion you all had about kind of this topic, right, of of you know, you've, you've lost a job or there's been a, a merger or acquisition and you don't feel as comfortable in the role anymore. Um, you know, but, but that, that is, a, 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 when I was listening to that, that was a harsh reality to really kind of listen to, because I think that's that, that grief piece, um, is one of those big drivers that really get people to kind of strike out on their own, isn't it? Um, I guess it depends on um, when in the process you're striking out on your own. If you've, um, you know, I guess if you're in a situation like Jennifer where you're still in a job, but the job has changed dramatically because of external circumstances like a merger or acquisition or a new boss um, or your company decides that you're more valuable in a new role. Um, and then you start to experience grief. And grief is, is an emotional reaction to losing something, right? So you've, if you've been in a job that you were happy with and you were comfortable in for a long time, suddenly being in a new situation in another job um, can be quite daunting, and you could experience grief as a result. So yes, as a result of the grief, you could decide, you know what, I don't think this is going to work for me long term. I think I need to take more control over my career and go out on my own. Yeah. So with your focus on, you know, kind of uh, helping consultants, um, what advice do you have for anybody who right now who is sitting back thinking, you know, hey, I think this is what I want to do. I think I want to become a consultant. Like, if, if if they could get one piece of advice out of you, what would it be? Um, well, I would say if, if it's one piece, if you are in a situation where you think your job may be terminated, on your way out, make sure that you have as positive a relationship with your employer as possible. Even though you may be angry and even though you may be, um, you may feel victimized, try to maintain a positive attitude and try to maintain a positive relationship with the primary decision makers in the company. Because if you're starting a consulting business, your previous employer has one of the best chances of being your first client. Hmm. I, I actually, I never thought of that, but that, that makes a little bit of sense right there. So can I throw um, in one other one, which a lot of people yeah. don't think about? I was actually getting ready to ask you, you said, Oh, if I only had to pick one, cause I was curious what, you know, the, the second or the third would be there. So yeah, what's the second? Um, 
So another one is if you're thinking about going out on your own and you don't have a line of credit, apply for one. Because if you, you know, for example, if you if you're a homeowner and you want to apply for an equity line of credit, your lending institution will look at your um, at your income and your um, and and the the steadiness of your income as one of the benchmarks as to whether or not they'll be willing to issue a line of credit. And in the first two years that you're in business, even if you're making a lot of money, they're going to be very reluctant to um, to issue a line of credit. Whereas if you're an employee and you can show a W-2, then um, they will be much more likely, if you, if you have good credit, they'll be much more likely to issue a line of credit. And one of the the, probably the biggest killer of a new business is lack of cash. So I'm not saying that you want to go into debt in order to fund what you need in your business, but if um, if you need it, you will you may have a hard time getting it when you when you actually need it. Um, the best time to apply for credit is when you don't need it. Yeah, no, I, I like that there. And I was kind of thinking of that. And I think you kind of hit it there at the end. So, uh, you, you're saying essentially like it's better to, to, to get it now, have it there. If you don't have to use it, fine, but it's better to have it set up when you have the credentials to be able to support a line of credit versus a year or so down the road when you haven't made income. Uh, I, that's, that's, that's smart. I mean, that's a, that, that next level of thinking and, and thinking you'll plan, uh, plan B and C there because, uh, yeah, I never thought of that, but, but I, I like that tip. And I tell you, the, the one thing I want to come back to your first one, right? What I would like about that is, you know, when I'm working, uh, with leaders and that comes up, uh, the, you know, Hey, I'm going to have to let somebody go or, you know, we're, we're going to have to downsize or whatever it is. Well, my first question is, do you really have to? Right. Cause I've, I've had a, a guest, Mark Deluzio, uh, talking about lean and, and his gripe. And I agree with him is too many American companies see lean practices as laying off employees. And that's not what lean's about. Lean's about finding reasons to not lay off employees because you want to keep product flow, uh, kind of maximized. But if you do, for whatever reason, maybe they're just not a cultural fit, whatever it is. I, I like your your uh, the, your thought of you know if you have to leave maybe your old boss is your your first customer because what I talk about is you know help that person leave with some grace and dignity and you know if you know some place where they would be a better fit you know give them a referral you know I mean obviously if they didn't leave by doing anything illegal immoral or unethical right you definitely don't want to be promoting those folks to somebody else. But if it was, uh, you know, hey, we just can't afford that position anymore or our company doesn't do that product line anymore, you know, try to help them land softly because you never know. And, and this kind of ties in with what you're saying. You never know when you're going to potentially need that employee again in the future or if they go out and they start their own company, if you're going to need their company in the future. So I, I like that. I like the way you put it, and it goes kind of on the opposite side of the coin of the way I put it from the, the leader's perspective, but it all works out in the same, right? Right. Earl, it goes also goes back to what we were talking about earlier, which is relationships. Relationships yep. are the driver of business. And so you never know when you may want to be able to tap into a relationship. So if you worked for somebody, that is a relationship. And if you are the the um, the employer and somebody worked for you, that is a relationship and you, you never know where that relationship may lead in the future. So you want to, it, 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 unless again, it, unless like you said, there's, um, you know, some kind of malfeasance. Um, but if, if the, the working relationship between employer and employee was positive, why wouldn't you try to maintain a positive relationship when the, when the actual, hiring relationship is over you would still want to maintain the personal relationship and the business relationship yeah are you familiar with the name uh cordia harrington i am not yeah so i may get her story a little bit wrong here so if anybody's listening and and you know here's the get a couple of details but kind of highlighting what david and i've been talking about um so she okay if i remember right she started out as a greyhound bus clerk 
And the opportunity came to buy a McDonald's franchise that was kind of attached to this bus station. So she bought the franchise. Um, she had some issues with, with supply, uh, went to one of the, the franchise owners meetings that McDonald's does. And she kind of got, you know, the, the, the treatment that a lot of women experienced at the time about, you know, what are you doing here? You know, she, she felt very much excluded. Right. And she couldn't really get a good answer to her supply issue. I think it had something to do with her, uh, the, the hamburger buns. And so that lit a fire under her and, um, she set out to figure out how to fix her supply chain issue. Well, she got in touch with this bakery, ended up, Hey, I, I like this business too. So she bought a bakery and, uh, fast forward, <laughs> you know, all of these little divine steps popping in there. Uh, I think she still is as of like six or seven years ago. Now, not only does she own a McDonald's franchise, I believe she still owns it, but she's like the number one bun supplier to McDonald's, right? <laughs> and all of this, this relationship here, because she started with the franchise, she knew a pain point, she was able to go find a way to fix it, and then she turned that into a business that now helped more McDonald's franchisees fix their pain point, all because of, you know, kind of these, these relationships that she was able to build along the way. And uh, she's a real impressive lady. I, I'm, I'm trying to have her on the show at some point in time so she can tell the story uh, verbatim. But it kind of, again, it goes that you never know when that relationship is going to be the thing you need or the thing that pays off for you in the future. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay. So you started out with smashing the plateau and, and you kind of talked about it a little bit here, but, you know, somebody who does a podcast, um, you know, I know how big of a lift that is. But what what really was the trigger point for you to sit there and say, you know what, um, I've got so much free time and all this good stuff. I think I'm going to start a second show and call it Going Solo. Yeah, it didn't quite work that way. But <laughs> <laughs> um, for um, for the first few years of Smashing the Plateau, we were releasing two episodes a week. Mm -hmm. And... Um, so two things happened concurrently, um, or actually it was like one right after the other. One, one was we had gotten to, I'm going to say it was maybe 400 episodes or so that we had released already on Smashing the Plateau. And as you know from being a podcast host, and we've already talked about the importance of relationships, as a podcast host, you do develop a lot of relationships with your guests and their communities and people in your audience. So I felt like I was struggling to try to maintain relationships with all these folks that have been on my show. Um, and, and I was thinking, you know, maybe it's not really the most effective use of my time to be producing two episodes a week. Let me cut it down to one episode a week. So I did that. And then um, I was also reflecting on sort of how the, the show had grown who was in the audience, who the guests were, what was it we talked about the most. And I began to realize that even though initially our focus was helping small businesses implement change, <clears throat> the reality is the vast majority of guests and people in the audience were very small businesses. They were businesses that's primarily one person. Um, you know, I don't believe anybody is really a solopreneur because everybody has some kind of team. Um, that that's a whole different issue. But anyway, I, I was looking at 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 the audience, and I saw I see that it's a lot of solopreneurs. And another thing that I realized that many folks had in common is that they started their business. It was they're primarily service businesses, mostly consulting businesses, some coaching businesses. And they were mostly started after a long career in corporate. And um, I sent out an email to our list um, with a hypothesis that I was thinking about starting a second show. And, um, and the topic was building a consulting business following a long career as an employed professional. Um, I got a lot of response to that email. And and I asked people if they wanted to share anything with me, and I started scheduling follow-up calls. 
um, my calendar got booked really fast and I realized I was touching on a nerve. And then in these follow-up conversations, one of the things that I learned is that many of these people started their consulting business when their job was terminated, including many of the people that I had known for a number of years that were running successful consulting businesses. But nobody was talking about the actual um, the, the termination and the immediate aftermath of the termination. Nobody was talking about the things that, that, um, that are going through the minds of the, of the professionals when they're in the midst of this transition. Um, things like grief and trauma and shame. Um, there's a reason why people don't share that they've been fired. There's a lot of shame associated with it. Our self-identity is really, for for professionals, it's very tied to who pays you on your um, on your paycheck, and so your self-identity is shattered. Um, you're you're feeling a loss. You um, you're also you're in isolation because you were you were in an environment where you had a full inbox and a full calendar and a social structure, and suddenly you're on your own. Um, and pre-COVID, you were probably working from home because if you don't have any business yet, you're not going to be renting an office. So um, you have self-identity issues, you have self-confidence issues, and then you have isolation issues, and this leads to a lot of emotional turmoil. And people um, are generally not particularly forthcoming about sharing that, um, even with people that are close to them. There's a lot of embarrassment around it. And so uh, I thought this, to me, seems like um, a, a reason to start a second show around this topic. And initially, I wasn't as focused on the need for the emotional piece of this discussion. I was thinking more of the the strategy and the tactics and some of the mechanical things, but the emotional conversations kept coming up and guests were, were willing to share, particularly after they had sort of gotten past it, they were willing to share some of what they had experienced emotionally. And I realized that there's a real gap in, um, in what's out there about helping people overcome the the trauma and the grief and the shame and figure out how they're going to take more control over their career, do it in a way that they end up working on what they love to work on, areas where they're competent, serving the kinds of clients they want to serve, and make a good living at it. And it can be done, um, but you know there are some steps you need to take. It doesn't happen automatically. Yeah. No, it's it's a great show, and I'm glad you did. And and you know, identified with everything that you said there because I'm at two shows a week right now, and I'm I'm seriously considering going down to one show a week, and and you know maybe opening up uh, another uh, another show myself. So I I love that there. Um, but you know, again, listeners, I can't highlight this enough. You're going to want to go as soon as you're done listening to to this show. Go hit that subscribe button on both of those podcasts, and uh, there's a lot of great information there. Uh, you know, David, we, we've had about 45 minutes or so here of fantastic discussion. I really want to thank you for that. Uh, but I'm curious, before we close out, is there anything that uh, we didn't get a chance to touch on that you really want to leave listeners with before we go? Uh, the, the one thing um, that, that I would strongly urge that you do, if you are either contemplating going solo or you already have gone solo, if you are not part of a strong, supportive community, that is one of the keys to overcoming some of the things I just talked about, the the, um, the shattered self-identity, self-confidence issues, um, things like pricing too low, um, the isolation. You really need to be in a community with folks like yourself, like-minded, that are dealing with some of the same issues. We recently started a membership community for consultants um, uh, focused on those that have had a long career first as a, as an employee um, so that we can, A, we can provide resources to help the members, but so that the members actually help one another. It's really, um, you know, go, going back to what the way we started this conversation, Earl, I, I believe that it's really important to, um, to provide service. And as someone who has experienced 
the difficulties of the transition earlier in my career, going from employee to consultant. I know how important it is to be in in the right community. So getting this community launched um, has been a, a major objective of mine. And I'm glad to say, uh, not only is it launched, people are connecting, they're helping one another, they're doing better in their businesses. So if you're not part of one, um, you know, feel free to check out ours. Um, but if, if um, you know, there are a lot of communities besides ours, I would say just be in, in one or more that will be helpful to you. Yeah, no, I love that advice. And on that note, uh, people want to find out more about the podcast. They want to find out more about you in general. They want to find out how to sign up for this service. What is a good way for uh, folks to find out more about David Trinercon and all that he does? Um, the easiest way is to go to smashingtheplateau.com. That is the repository and like the, the hub of everything we do. So you can find out about the podcast there, both podcasts. You can find out about our community, the Smashing the Plateau community there. Um, feel free to reach out to me. I'm most active on LinkedIn if you want to do it via social media. There's a contact form on our website. You can always schedule time to speak with me if you have any questions about this. And um, if I can help, I'd be happy to help. Yeah. And folks definitely do that. Take him up on that offer because, uh, you know, again, I've only known David here for month, month and a half, whatever it's been, if it's been that long. And, uh, you know, you, you provided all kinds of great information and all kinds of, uh, all kinds of great resources. And I just want to thank you for doing what you do. I want to thank you for being a guest on, uh, the responsible leadership podcast and, and spending this last, you know, 45, 50 minutes, uh, or so with me and my guests and having this outstanding conversation that we had, it is truly appreciated, David. Thank you so much, Earl. Thank you for inviting me. Well, all right, folks, there you have it. Another great show about responsible leadership. I really appreciate you listening. And if you have any feedback for me, please reach out at Earl at leadershipphalanx.com. That's E-A-R-L at leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X dot com. Thank you for rating, reviewing, subscribing, and sharing the show so these messages can spread further and make a bigger impact. With that, I look forward to speaking with you again in the next episode. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage, behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your hosts for the, the Candle, Candle Power, Power Hour. Hour.